This is from Acts, the fourth chapter, the first 12 verses. If you remember from last week, if you were here, uh, Peter and John have just healed a man near the temple, and now they are talking to a huge group gathered there. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of them who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As we begin this morning, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. And one of the reasons why is that statement from verse 12 might come as a surprise to you. And it definitely comes as offense to many in our culture. And therefore to just assume that our hearts and minds are ready to receive the word uh, might be mildly to moderately presumptuous of me. So let's go to God and ask him to reveal his truth to us. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for your word that comes and speaks to us. Some of us prepared to hear it, others not at all. Some of us convinced that it is true, others wondering if it is true, and still others, not at all. Therefore, to all of us, God, I ask that you would reveal the truth of this text and the truth of your word, the truth about your son and the truth about salvation. Father, may we as, um, as a church love your word and believe your word and share it with others. May we believe in the truth about Christ and the implications on all of us and all of humanity in light of what the scriptures teach. In this day and age where um, we are so afraid of saying the wrong thing, may we not overspeak or underspeak ever the truth about Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So this morning in first service, we had baby dedication, and you missed it. It was awesome. There were parents 
with their little ones, and they were holding them, and their little ones were, you'll never guess, cute, like really, really cute. And not only that, they were like well-dressed. Everybody seemed prepared, and like families were in the first few rows. I'm sure they called people, hey, little Jimmy's getting dedicated tomorrow. You've got to come and see this. It's awesome. And Beth got up. She leads our early childhood department. And London, who serves with her in that ministry, they, they stood here. And, and truly, the entire stage was set with parents who had planned not just how to receive this child, but then where everything was going to go from there. I mean, if you think like picking the, the color for the baby's room, and that's why we got to find out you know, what, what the baby is before, as soon as possible, because we have lots of planning that we need to do. And just plan, 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 plan. And then the child's job is to destroy all of those plans, right? <laughs> so here was the challenge. Here is your child given to you by God. Love them well. Train them well. Teach them to grow up in the knowledge of God and respond to God faithfully. Parents, do you commit to do this? And all the parents said, we do. And I'm thinking, you have no idea what that's about. You have no idea. It's one thing to plan. It's another thing to take the baby home, right? I, I go back to these analogies because they're so powerful. I, I remember planning and looking at her and going, I mean, I'll tell you, there's nobody else I'd rather spend the rest of my life with you are amazing, you look amazing. And I, and I said, I do. And I had all these plans. All these plans about like what we would do together and what our family would look like. And just kind of, I mean, I just had all of these plans. And then we came home from the honeymoon, right? Actually a day early, which we didn't plan. And it just began to unravel from there. I don't mean good or bad. I just mean like, it just happens. And, and we had plans. And then life happened. To quote the insightful words of Mike Tyson. Let me say that again. To quote the insightful words of Mike Tyson, who for many, many years, you guys know who Mike Tyson is? Okay, was a, was, was a boxer. And uh, he would, people would, he, he was really, really good for a long time and nobody knew how to beat him. And so they would sit down, they would ask people, you're about to fight Mike Tyson, what is your plan? And they would say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. The reason why I can beat Mike Tyson is this and that. And, and he's never dealt with this or that. And, and so I think if I just do this or that, then I think I can beat Mike Tyson. And then he would get in the ring. So they would ask Mike, hey, Mike, you're going to be fighting blah, blah. And he's got a plan. And Mike Tyson responded back. I love this line. Everybody's got a plan till I punch him in the face. <laughs> like, that is brilliant. Like, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Like, that's deep, Mike. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, you have a plan for your little one. And it's all going to work out just probably not according to your plan. And I get that you love each other, but it's probably not going to work out according. 
Everybody has a plan. Have you had a plan for your education and then it felt like you got punched in the face? Have you had a plan for a relationship and then all of a sudden it feels like you get punched in the face? Have you had a plan for your children and then all of a sudden just the sting of someone else's fist in your face? It's just, it's important for us to realize that there are all of these plans that we might have that in the end may not actually prepare us for game day, right? Anybody have a team that had a plan yesterday? Right? What happened? Did you not plan? No, I promised you, we planned. And so did they. And this is how it ended up. And it's not how I planned. So that's life. Now, now this is what our text says. The text says that Jesus Christ has come. And that he is the only name given to people. Through which or by which we might be saved. That his name alone. That the person alone. That the work alone of Jesus Christ actually saves. So there's, the, there's what God is doing. And, and so I, I want to ask you about, if you don't mind, your plan. Like someday you will meet the God of the Bible. I believe that. I'm not saying that all of us do. I don't assume that every one of you believes what I believe about this. I think a lot of you do. I don't think all of you do. That's okay. But this Bible actually teaches that there will come a day where you and I, every one of us, will stand before God. And the Bible describes God as holy and righteous and loving and merciful and gracious. And yet he's got, oh, to say high expectation, he's got perfect expectation. And not only that, but he's got perfect knowledge. And he is all-powerful. So your whole plan when you got in trouble with your parents was to do the, I didn't know. Remember that one? I had no idea. Or, but what I wanted to do was, or I tried my best. Problem is, is that God's a little smarter than your dad. And he not only knows the reality of you, like the fullest truth of you, but he actually even knows it better than you do. That's what the Bible teaches. That God knows you and your heart better than you do. Just think about that for a moment. That's what the Bible teaches. So when you meet him, and the Bible says you will. You might not believe that, okay. But the Bible says you will. Just think for a moment. So what's your plan? What's your plan to deal with a righteous God who, according to the Bible, feels as though you have wronged him? That you have lived your life for something other than for his glory? That you have, in fact, wronged him and those around you to various degrees? And what's your plan to make that right? And I believe that most of us, even throughout human history, we have had different ideas about what we can do. 
and, and I do not want to be too reductionistic when I say this, but the more that I study, and I, I do, I'm fascinated by, by our human attempts to deal with our lives and the problems in our life, the ultimate direction and destination that we go and all the thoughts that, that just kind of swirl around that, I'm absolutely fascinated about how for literally thousands of years humans have wrestled with this. And we've come up with what we think are a number of different plans. And again, I don't want to be too reductionistic, but I really think that humanity really has one plan. That when you sum up even the concept of what religion as practiced by humans, like even before the time of Jesus, they had one plan, and that plan was, went kind of like this, be good. You need to be good. I love watching or reading um, people as they try to describe this. And, and recently I stumbled across uh, this TV show called The Good Place. And just absolutely fascinated about this attempt to understand like what happens when we die and why we go where we go and, and how all of these things fit together and just how absolutely inadequate we are. How in, utterly inadequate. You, you get lines like this. Hi, my name is Jen. I am the all-knowing judge of the universe. I know absolutely everything. I know all the things that have happened. What's your name? Who are you? Okay, Jen, think of what you just said. It's fascinating how this show cannot talk adequately or appropriately about these things. So surprise, surprise, in the end, the show is about just being good. Just follows the way that we think about it. Actually, when we say be good, what we really mean is at least try, right? It's not just be good, you better be good, you better be good, you better be good. No, it's like, hey, could you try to be good? Hey, would you mind at least just trying? Like, I know it's probably too much to ask that you're always good. So could you at least give it an effort? Please, please, could you try to be good? This is, now, can you see the difference? When you're holding the little child, you just hope that it'll be good. And then once that child has a will of its own, you know, like right after they cut the umbilical cord and the child has a will of its own, you're just thinking to yourself, at least try. What we really mean by is we want you to be good. We want you to at least try. Come on, tell me, like, sometimes. <laughs> like, I know not every time, but, but sometimes. Like, not every day, but maybe every other day or every other other day. Like, just sometimes. Because we have all these excuses about why I couldn't be good here, I couldn't be good there, I couldn't be good in these circumstances, I couldn't be good in these circumstances. And so sometimes I try, sometimes I don't. Sometimes, please, just sometimes. And then we say, like, when you feel like it, it's just fascinating how our understanding of our plan to make peace or to find peace with the creator of the universe for all that we've done, in the end what it means is we will at least try sometimes when we feel like it 
be good. And that's our plan. I mean, if you're honest, if I'm honest, I think that's my plan. Like without Jesus, it ends up something like this. Go, go back. I, I Really, I encourage you to read how other religions work. They call it karma, call it a series of prayers or a spiritual journey or, I know, an awakening. And the awakening goes something like this. You need to be good. You need to at least try, at least sometimes, when you feel like it. And as long as you're sincere and as long as you're honest, you should be fine. Now, what the Bible says about this all-knowing, all-powerful, loving, gracious, merciful, holy, righteous, and perfect God, which we get from the Scriptures, is He has revealed to us, like, our condition and our problem. So, this is our plan, but then the Bible says this about us. Are you ready? Here's what the Bible says about us. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to give you a lot of different texts today for you to look at. You might want to write them down. You might want to try to follow along if you can keep up. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. See, here's the issue. That's our plan, but that's only our plan if, in fact, in fact we could actually accomplish some of that. Even that's a stretch. Then we have to start going, how many of you are wondering, well, what is good, really? Like, who gets to decide that? Well, actually, that question is answered by the Bible. Questions about, like, who gets to decide it and what is good and what is not good. Those answers already come from the Scriptures. And then here's what it actually says about us. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Look at this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Come on, Paul. Tell me how you really feel. Quit being so wishy-washy. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now what the Bible is describing there is not that your mom only did bad things to you or that your second grade teacher was only a terrible person and she really wanted to just eat you right there in class. That's not what it's saying. In this section of the book of Romans, what it's describing is Literally, our, our preparation and our understanding about how different people in their attempts tried to please God and how we tried to come up with a plan. And that plan was, we're just going to be good. We're going to follow the law. We're just going to be good. We're going to follow our conscience. And what Paul is saying is, it's not that there aren't good things that we have done for each other or that we can't even recognize. Wow, you are so kind and you are so gracious. It's not arguing that. What it's arguing is, is that at the moment when it matters most, which is not what your mom thinks, and it's not what society thinks, and it's not what your really, really, really close friends on Facebook think, you know, the ones you're really tight with, that 37,000 people, right? It's not them, but it's God. And what he's saying is, is that like when it comes to your, your relationship with me, I'm telling you, it's broken. And, and that's not because he's mean. And it's not because he doesn't love. Because you'd have to explain to me then why would he send his son to die if he doesn't love me. Explain that one to me. 
It's almost like he knows there's a problem that I don't know of, and then before I even realized there was a problem, he already had a solution. That's what it looks like. It looks like even before I even understood what this text meant, that God knew there was a separation or a break, and God was already ahead of the curve, ready to fix it. That God had a plan before I ever came up with one, or any of my ancestors. See, Paul says because God has revealed it to him. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Death. Not not just physical, but death. Like, just not being in the presence of God. And God says, hey, like you're going to come up with a plan, and it's not going to work. And so I want to get in front of you This is what the Bible actually teaches. Like while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like anybody would die for a godly person, but Christ chose his love for us that he went and died for the ungodly. So the Bible actually teaches that before we understood, before you understood the problem, and and some of you right now don't even know if there really is a problem yet. Like right now as you are hearing my voice To some degree, your plan in some variation or form is I'm just going to be good. And what I want you to realize is is that God already has a plan. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 describe it. They're in this, and I want you to remember the context. The context is a bunch of people who are descendants of Abraham who are in fact priests and leaders of Israel, God's covenant people. And Peter says to them, salvation is found in no one else. Hey, we're Jewish. Yeah, I know. John the Baptist actually told you you're going to use the I'm Jewish card. And he actually said, do not claim for yourselves That you are descendants of Abraham, like somehow that's going to be the pass. Christians love to do that. I mean, truly, I guess if they're not riding on their own goodness, they're riding on grandma's back into heaven. You know what I'm saying? They're literally trying to like, you know, I'm just going to walk really close to my mom and maybe Jesus won't recognize me. I'll just try to get get in on, on her goodness or his goodness. So you just, you're going to marry well and just kind of try to sneak in? So Jesus says to these very devoted, intelligent, committed, well-intended. I don't know why, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I, I don't agree with them, but I, don't, I have no reason to say that their intentions aren't good. And Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, like you rejected him. God sent his son, you rejected him. And you're the builders. And by the way, that's now become the cornerstone. That's what that verse says, verse 11. God's plan, you rejected. You, the builders, rejected the one stone that you were supposed to use. But by the way, whether you reject it or don't reject it, you cannot subvert God's plan. And that plan, which is Jesus, is now the cornerstone, that very central, important piece that's holding everything up. It's a reminder, like, God doesn't ask for, like, your opinion on these things. I like to remind people, like, God never has asked me my opinion on a plan. He has one. 
And it's my responsibility to understand what it is and to share it. Look at verse 12. So Peter says to these devoted, well-intended religious leaders who've decided to reject Jesus and just go back to the plan of Moses, at least try sometimes when they feel like it, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven among men, given among men, by which we must be saved. And so what the Bible actually teaches is that there is one way to him. There's one way to him. You've got to be careful with analogies. Really, like even using the analogy of a, of a little baby and the plans that you have as a parent or marriage and the plans that you have. Th- those analogies are helpful, but analogies can also really get us into trouble. So let's pretend that that final destination, that that final place that you and I are going to go be a part of, I don't know, let's call it Detroit. And Detroit is heaven. I know you're having a hard time imagining, right? Especially if you've been to Detroit, you're having a hard time imagining. But let's just pretend that it's Detroit. And we could say there's lots of ways to get to Detroit. Have you heard this analogy? There's lots of ways to get to Detroit. You could go by plane. You could go by train. You could go by bus. You could go by car. You literally, now, I mean, I'm sure it would take a while, you could go by bird. (laughs) Literally, I think every one of us could get on one right now (laughs) in this town and go to Detroit by bird or lime or citrus or whatever. I'm sure there's 12 more companies coming out, but we could literally take a bird. You You could walk. And you've heard it. And actually, I'm guaranteeing you, some people in this room are going, that's a great point, man. Heaven's kind of like Detroit, lots of different ways to get there. I know Christians have their thing, but Muslims have their thing, and Buddhists have their thing. The reality is is that it's all kind of the same thing. Let me tell you, analogies are great to the degree to which those analogies are true. So by the way, let's just say, for example, what if heaven isn't Detroit, but it's more like the moon? What if? I'm not saying it is. Heaven is actually just heaven. But but what if? What if? Okay? Because, I mean, you have to believe that heaven is Detroit. And how many of you are just feeling a little bit, ah, I don't know, like that, that idea of heaven being Detroit. But what if it's the moon? Now can you get there by a plane? Or a train? Or a bus? Or a bird? You, You really think that you can get... Well, I mean, it's just a destination. You really can get anywhere you want to get as long as you really have faith and you've got the best of intentions. Really? You think you could get to the moon with a bird and intentions? You know you can't. See, it's, it's these analogies that can really kind of mess with us a little bit. That's why I, I just, better than any kind of analogy, better than the whole Um, what if heaven is like the moon? I got a better one. What about this? And there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we might be saved. His name is Jesus. Like that's, that's the truth. No analogy there. No other name has been given to us by which we might be saved. What the Bible actually teaches. I'm not asking you to agree with it. Actually, I am asking you to agree with it. But I, I get it if you don't. I am. Like, I should be very clear. Like, I am. I, I want you to agree with this. For your sake, actually. 
I want you to agree with this, that the Bible teaches that there is one way. John chapter 3, verse 36 puts it this way. Jesus speaking, whoever believes in the Son, that's himself, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes has life. Whoever doesn't obey, interesting kind of a switch, but the idea of like believing and obeying go, go hand in hand in the Bible. So it's very similar to saying the same thing. Like if you, if you believe and obey, then you, you get life. If you don't believe and you don't obey, then you don't get life. Like that's what the Bible teaches. And, and it's not just believing in God or believing in your way. It's like believing in Jesus. It's believing that what Jesus Christ did on the cross made a way. In, in fact, that he is the way. And there's just one of those Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. So Jesus made it very clear. If you believe in me and follow me, life. You don't believe in me, don't follow me, not life. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the proclamation of Jesus is the only way. The good news that Jesus Christ made a way because no one else can. If not, it was just all of us going, I think we just need to try harder to be better. That was our plan. And Jesus said, I got something. I got something so much better. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. Not, it is one of many. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is what makes it so inclusive. People talk about the exclusive nature, the one-way nature. Sure, but that one way is open to everyone. Like, in a few moments, we're going to hand out communion trays, and everyone who has placed their faith in him is welcome. Like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to ID you. We're not going to ask how much you make. We're not going to ask you what you did this week. No, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, everyone. And the Apostle Paul says, it is the gospel, it is the good news that brings salvation to everyone. It is the gospel that brings salvation, not being good, not some alternative way. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It brings salvation and peace with God. Now, it gets a little bit deeper. It's, it's not just one way. God actually gets it a little more clear. He says this, it's actually my way. So God didn't just randomly go, okay, let's make a test for humans, and uh, here's what the test is going to look like. That's not what he does. That's, that's a, it's a poor analogy. God actually says, like, this isn't just a way. It's not like, well, how can I make people be good? See, we keep going back to that be good thing. How can we just get people to be good? Well, people can be good if they, no, no, no. God says, listen, like, this really is my way. This is my plan. This is from God himself. It's not randomly selected. So what is the way that we get to God? Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. How do we get there? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the free gift of God. See where it comes from? It's my way. This idea of grace, this idea of what Jesus Christ does, this is a gift from God, not a result of works, 
so that no one can boast. See, because in reality, God knows very clearly that no one is going to get him in a corner and go, you owe me. And this is not going to be one of those opportunities where you're going to either phone a friend or get your mom to come and to explain why you really tried your best. Like none of those things. None of those things. And yet look at what this text so clearly describes. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Why? So that you and I will never be able to boast. You and I will never be able to brag in the presence of God. It is his way, and it is that way of grace, not works. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes these words to his follower. Talking again about God, he says this, he saved us. Isn't that interesting? We spend all of our time going, hey, how do I get saved? Where God has already answered the question, I have made a way. It's my way. Like, honestly, you can rest easier knowing that you don't have to try to figure it out because he's already figured it out. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That is God's plan. That is God's purpose. That is God's directive. It is my way, by grace, through faith. It is you actually letting go of what you're trying to do. It is you not trying to just figure out another standard or make your own standard or becoming your own little tribe that has your own little standard and then you're angry at other little tribes that have a different standard and then you just fight and then you go to war and then you hurt one another. That's what we do. And I'm not just talking about the American political process. This is what we always do. We surround ourselves with other people that think just like us. We exclude others. We come up with our version of good and wrong and bad and right. And then we hurt each other. God goes, no, I, got, I, have, a, I have a plan. And, and, it's, and it's my plan. And it's my plan. You realize the freedom that can come in you when you realize like what you're trying to figure out has already been figured out? That what you're trying to do and what you're trying to become has already been done for you? Just think about that for a moment. It's already been done. So, so how do I how do I get some of that? And the answer is, what does the text say? God's way is what? By faith. Now, here, here's where we get into trouble is we always just think faith is like the, 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 the biggest thing. I, I still remember coming to the realization that as much as we talk about you got to believe and you got to believe and it's all about faith, that really, that, that, as, as wonderful as that is, we sometimes forget just the, the my way part, the God part. So not only is it one way, and not only is it like my way, meaning God's way, not my way, but God's way, but actually it's even deeper than that. As you keep on getting down here, and we talk about the way, the way, or the truth, what Jesus does is he embodies that. What God does is he embodies that. So it's not just one way, it's God's way, and it's not just God's way, it's actually God. 
Like God comes down and goes, it's me. Like I'm the one behind all of this. Like if you're wondering like how all of this works, ta-da, it's me. Even when we talk about faith, here's what it's like. It's like, have you ever been like in an airport and there you are in LAX and you're trying to figure out a way because you're in between flights and you've got to figure out a way to charge your phone. Not that this has happened to me recently because you're on your way to Japan and you're trying to figure it out. And I have everything I need to get my phone to charge except for electricity. That's the one thing I was missing. But I've got the power cord. I literally, I've got the phone. I just need like a pluggy thing that I'm going to probably try to put in and it'll be upside down. Seriously, why do I always get that wrong? Turn it back around, right? And so you and I can run around with cord. We can run around with the phone, our lives, and faith. Do you realize like without him, like without God, like your faith is useless. This is why like faith, like in ourselves and for ourselves and just believing and really believing and super believing does nothing if the object of that faith isn't like real. And, and I'm going to say this word because it, and it's a really important word. And you might want to say, I don't know if that's the best way to say it. I really think it might be. That, that one on the other side is in fact predictable. I know that almost makes it sound like, Ugh. But in this day of uncertainty where I have no idea if my mom and dad are going to be home when I go home. Like I have no idea what I can trust in or believe in. One word that I try to use to describe God is predictable. Meaning he, he's faithful. He follows through. This is the God who saves us. He's predictable. It's me. Like you can plug into him. See, so it's not just the core. It's not just faith. It is what Jesus Christ, what God has done. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul, again, writing about this idea of God being the one, puts it this way. By the power of God who saved us, and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. See, there's the source. Like, there's the reason. We, we, we want to get into these debates about why has Jesus got to be the only way. I'm, I'm telling you, one of the reasons that we just have to agree upon, or at least I would challenge you to at least think through, is that this isn't just some kind of random guy. Like, that's why the claims of Jesus are going to matter so much. Because the Bible teaches there is one way, and the Bible teaches that that way is God's way, and the Bible actually teaches that that is, in fact, God who is doing it. And so, in the end, this why it becomes the critical fourth piece, is that, that that God that we ultimately know as, his name is Jesus. One way. My way. Me. My name is Jesus. Like that's, what, that's what Acts chapter 4 is all about. Peter and the apostles sharing with their Jewish countrymen who thought they were already good with God. There's salvation found in no one else. Not Moses, not Abraham, but Jesus. 
He is the one that God planned from the beginning. He is the cornerstone. I know you've rejected him, but he is the one, and you've got to deal with him. And I'm telling you, my fellow Americans, I'm, actually, I'm not even American yet, but my almost fellow Americans, listen to me. Salvation is found in no one else. Not your mom, not your dad, like not your own good works, not your best of intentions, but Jesus and him alone. Faith in him alone, what he accomplished that you could never accomplish alone. John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this about himself. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, meaning that I am the anointed one of God, that I am the chosen one of God. Like I'm not like another prophet. I'm not like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Those guys die, nothing changes in your relationship with God. I die, everything changes in your relationship with God. I am he. And if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, I still believe that to be true. That's why the people in Japan need to hear that if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. That's why the people of Africa need to hear that if, the peop- that if, you, that if you do not believe who Jesus Christ is, you will die in your sins. That's why the people of Canada need to know that if you do not know who Jesus Christ is, you will die in your sins. That is why my neighbors in Stillwater, Oklahoma, why OSU, why the place where you work, why those little babies on this stage need to be taught that if you do not know who Jesus Christ is and put your hope in him, you will die in your sins. That's what the Bible teaches. That is what Jesus accomplishes. And Jesus is, in fact, God. This is why I, I love to tell my, I have a number of Muslim friends, but I love to tell them that the, the big difference is, is that like my Jesus made your Muhammad. Like literally. Like the Bible teaches that everything was made by him and for him. We're not talking about equals. It's not just Jesus and he becomes on this long list of names. No, if you want to put the names of all the world religions and who their founders are, and then you get to God's plan of salvation through the Christ, through the Messiah, like that needs to be on a completely different page. Not because it's my religion, not because it's what I want, but because the Bible teaches that it's fundamentally different because everyone else's religion was just kind of thought up by other people who came up with this great elaborate plan, some more fascinating, some a little more coherent than others about being good. And Jesus said, I stand diametrically opposed to that whole way of living. I'm telling you, believe I was good enough. And so he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's why Paul can stand up on an intellectual campus in Athens where all the smart people were. And you can laugh at them. They did, actually. And Paul said, hey, by the way, we're all aware that there are many gods that argue lots of different things. I want to tell you what the God of the Bible teaches. And then he says this, Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere. And and in the Greek, that literally means all people everywhere. They need to repent 
Because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Jesus Christ was not only God, he was man. By a man whom he has appointed and he has given assurance to this, to, to all by raising him from the dead. So how do I know all this is going to happen? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Actually, any of you guys planning to watch a football game this afternoon? You'll probably see it in the stands. Probably one of the best verses to argue this case is actually John 3. 16. For God loved the world so much that he created lots of ways and lots of plans so that everybody could find him. For God loved the world so much he sent his son. And now it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you try, you'll. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. That's the story of God's love and his plan of salvation for you. Tell me, think through, what is your plan? To accept God's free gift? To continue to just try to do the best that you can and just kind of hope? I'd love to ask you, like, where did you even get the idea that your goodness God would take as credit for your problem. It's like me sitting in my bedroom trying to come up with a money that I think the bank might take. It's foolish. But God's way is good. And so we celebrate that. This time I'm going to ask our servers to go back. Part of our response actually this morning is to genuinely celebrate what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And so the servers are going to come and they're going to hand out trays. And um, I, I really want you to think this through. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, which means you have placed your sin problem in the hands of God by faith, that you've connected to that source of forgiveness and peace by faith, that your plan is to stand before God and say, God, I'm with him, your son, the one that you sent. That's my plan, God. If that is true for you, when the tray comes, I want you to take the bread and take the cup. If not, it's okay. Let it pass. Use this time as an opportunity to reflect on what I've been preaching on. That what you are holding in your hands truly is a means by which you and I have peace and favor with God. And in a moment, when we all have it, we will share it together.